Thank you, guys. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel Van Cleve. I am the young adult pastor here at Great Hills Baptist Church, and it is my honor and privilege to fill in for Pastor Danny this morning, who is on vacation and getting some much-needed rest and time. And so I want us to, to begin this morning with prayer, and I want to invite you to pray for yourself. Um, that is a good prayer. And so would you just take a knee in your circle just before you and the Lord and pray with me and ask the Lord to speak to you this morning, if you would do that with me. Father, your name is beautiful. You are an amazing God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so we bow before you this morning. Lord, I confess that in, in and of my words dwells no power, no ability to change lives, no help for anyone in this place or online, but Lord, your spirit is powerful. It is amazing, and Lord, you're with us, and you are the greatest person in the room, and so God, would you rain down, would you speak? God, would you arrest wayward thoughts? Would you heal marriages? Would you heal up the burdened and the wounded and, the, and bind those wounds? And God, would you minister to hearts that need to hear you? God, we all need to hear you this morning, so speak to us through your words, in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna take you back in time to one of the greatest battles ever fought. Now, this battle was fought about 2,950 years ago, and it is between one single man and a bunch of men, an army. And some would think that maybe that battle was Chuck Norris, but no, it was 3,000 years ago. It couldn't be Chuck Norris or Anderson Silva or any, Rocky Balboa, none of those. One, somebody was probably thinking it was between you and your sister or your sibling because you think, man, that's gotta be the worst fight ever, but it's none of those. It's between Samson and 1,000 Philistines. 1,000 versus one. Those are some crazy odds. I'm in martial arts, and to receive a black belt, you have to spar five black belts at one time after having combated a line of guys that are throwing punches at you and random kicks, and you're combating. A thousand one to odds is impossible. Let me just tell you, not only that, but Samson, when he began this battle, he was bound. He was roped. And he looks around and there's a thousand people. Now this room will seat about 2,000 people. So that would be the half of the room versus just me. Those odds are impossible. But the Bible tells us that the spirit of the Lord overcame him, empowered him, and he snapped those ropes. And he looked around and all he saw was a jawbone of a donkey. And he finds this jawbone and he picks it up and he begins to put a tail whipping on those boys. I mean, he takes them to the woodshed, 1,000 of them. And can you imagine, that's just brutal. It's, it's nasty, terrible. Those, the odds and, and, and his, his, just the beauty of that fight was just, it was gross. I know it was gross. But Samson's power was not in a jawbone. We're gonna see this morning that the power is not in this or that. 
that the power is in the Lord. And that's where we're gonna go this morning. A couple things we're gonna not see, or actually, let's, there are three things on the screen. We're gonna see this morning that the strongest are weak without God. If you're taking notes, we're gonna move fast this morning. We have a lot of text to cover. But the strongest are weak without God. We're gonna see Samson taken down. He's taken out by one woman. We're gonna also see that self-centered desire is sin against God. When it's all about me, God is not in that. That's self-centered desire. And then we're gonna see a little compromise left unchecked will weaken the strong. Just like Paul said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so just a little compromise will weaken the strongest. Um, Turn with me to the book of Judges chapter 13. The story of Samson is packed into four chapters. Um, Samson is an incredible guy, but this book of Judges is about a quarter of the way into the Bible after Joshua before Ruth. Joshua is a book of amazing conquests, battles, and, and, and great victory are won in Joshua. And then we come to the book of Judges, and it's sin, it's compromise, it's defeat, it's, it's terrible things, failure. But when you think of Judges, don't think of black-robed justices wielding a gavel on a tall bench in a room, in a courtroom. When we think of judges, when you think of regional, political, military leaders or or tribal chiefs, these were the judges and they were commissioned by God. They were called by God to do a work, to bring freedom, to glorify him, to point people vertically to him. But they're, they're called to point people to him and to win in their battles, to defeat their enemies. Now, I wanna warn you this morning, the book of Judges is violent and disturbing. Um, And the last verse in the book of Judges sort of captions the entire book. It says, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is a problem. It's a problem in America today. We have compromised the word of God. It's a problem in many churches today. We've compromised the word of God and we've sacrificed the principles and precepts of God's word over our personal preference because it feels right, because it looks right and it seems right. Well, it's not always right and it's never right unless God's word says it is right. So Samson is covered in, like I mentioned, it's around 1070 BC. This guy's a superhero and we're gonna just look at a highlight of his life, just an introduction to his life fly through here. So hang on, buckle your seatbelt. He was fraught with compromise. And that's really the, what we're, we're pulling out is seven ways that Samson compromised. The word compromise from dictionary.com is to make a dishonorable or shameful concession. It's an endangering, especially of reputation. Judges 13, verse one, we dive in. Verse one, it's on the screen. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Verse one gives us the seventh of seven apostasies in the book of Judges. They did evil. Evil is sin. 
What is the result of of Israel's sin? The result of Israel's sin is that they are given to their enemy for 40 years. Their enemy would subjugate them for 40 years. That's a long time. But it shows us God's patience, God's resilience to see his people repent and to turn from sin and self and turn to him. Verse two, there was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah and his wife was barren and had no children. Zorah is in the eastern foothills of the valley of Sorek. Samson's parents would be of the tribe of Dan. And Samson is promised to a barren woman. She wants children. She has not had children. Now, her name is not mentioned, and I don't know why, but she's never mentioned by name. But in that day, to not have children was considered a curse of God. Many believe that, although it was not true. Um, but she is left out for some reason. But children were the social security of families in that day. If you didn't have children, you get sick in your older age, who's there to take care of you? And so this was a big deal. And so God steps on the scene and says, bear no more. Verse three, hey, if you're praying for children this morning, God is the only one that can say, barren, no more. He's all powerful. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you're barren. You've born, you have not born children, but you will conceive and bear a son. He says, bear no more. You're gonna have children. Therefore, verse four, mom, therefore, mom, be careful Don't drink any wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. Notice Samson is consecrated and chosen before conception. Well before his birth, he is called to be set apart, to be different. And mom is to take prenatal care. She is to take care of her body. No alcohol, no grapes. Don't eat any food that is unclean or bad for you. Now she knew exactly what those things were. Why was she not to do that? Number one, because God said not to. And secondly, it would affect the life of her child. Samson has good parents. We're gonna see that as we read on. However, um, his parents become victims of Samson's stupid. Samson steps into stupid and he stirs it up real good like no one. You just can't believe some of these stories that we're gonna see this morning. But it's a good reminder that your children are not a reflection of you, parents. They're not. God is greater. God is the final say. He is the one and he is working and doing a work. So it's not your fault if your children, as Samson doesn't follow the Lord, he disobeys God. But um, um, not as a result that we can tell of his parents, anything that they did. They, they're really awesome parents. Verse five. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come to his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Samson is deemed and labeled a deliverer, a savior, and he is not to have a haircut. He is not to drink um, things of the vine, and there were several other things that are not specifically mentioned here in that tag, the Nazarite vow. 
Um, Numbers chapter six details what that vow means. And we don't have time to look at that this morning. But not only is he to not touch these things, he's not to consume these things. He's not to go near these things. And that's a key point this morning. Samson's name is mentioned 39 times in scripture. His name means sunshine or sunny. Mama's little sunshine definitely is fraught with compromise. And we're gonna see that this morning. Some of you need to lighten up just a little bit. So turn to a person. There's a little tension in the room. Turn the person next to you and tell them, say, I have a weakness. If you're online, if you're, say, I have a weakness. I see you. Some of you are like, that is not becoming of my holy persona. I am not going to. If you're online, roll your window down. If you're driving down the road, yell it to the car next to you or open the window in your living room and just scream it to your neighbor. They'll love that. We all have weakness. Now, some of you wouldn't do it. I saw you. God sees your heart. Um, turn the next, to the person next to you now and just say, you have a weakness. All right, that was, a, that was a lot of difference right there. See, it's so much easier for us to point out somebody else's fault than to look at our own, right? So let's look at this Samson dude. Um, seven compromises, seven shameful concessions that he makes. We're gonna fly through this and we will leave some time at the end to look at what is the Lord, what's the scripture saying to us through this, this amazing story of compromise? Number one, Samson was led by lust. And so the scripture we're gonna dive into is now gonna move to chapter 14, verses one through three. Samson went to Timnah, and at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the, of the Philistines. Now, there's four different ways to say Philistine. Philistine, Philistines. Um, there are four different ways to say it, trust me. I don't even know. So I might use two or three of those this morning. We'll see. Samson sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. I love that. <laughs> but his father and mother said to him, is there not one of the women among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go and take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, go get her for me, for she looks right in my eyes. He chose the wrong woman and he allowed himself to be motivated visually. Now, if you are in the dating scene, how many of you are looking for a spouse? Don't raise your hand. I know you're not gonna do it anyway. I'll just want it, that is not a good, good, a good way to choose your wife or your husband. Oh, she looks good. I think, no. Ask Johnny Depp. You can just email him and ask him <laughs> if looks is um, a great way to choose. And he will let you know. No, it, it is definitely not. That's barbaric. I mean, he's kind of saying like Tarzan, me Tarzan, me want Jane. I mean, he's just going after her. Um, this was dishonoring to his parents. Uh, Exodus 20 said, honor your parents, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you, that you'll have a prolonged life. Dishonoring parents was not a cool thing. In that day, it was, it was tradition, according to Joshua 14 too, for parents to arrange weddings. I know we don't do those in America much, but um, in that day, they were arranged. And so there would be a diary and 
parents would get together and agree on a price and, and, and then you would get married to that person. Now, I do need to make mention that um, I don't think there's anything wrong, definitely not anything wrong, nor it should be taken from this text. There's anything wrong with marrying someone of a different race. I wanna clear that up. Um, can't read that into this. Um, there is something wrong with being unequally yoked. And that, that's the problem here. That's the issue at hand. Is, is Samson is to not be connected with someone who has a different God, a pagan God. And if you're in a dating relationship this morning and you're a Christian and you're dating someone who is not a Christian, you are in the wrong relationship. Um, we are to not go there. And um, if you wanna come sit down in my office, I can show you many places in God's word to back that up. He chose based on appearance. We'll later see he marries this woman. We'll later see that he's led by lust as he hires a prostitute narrowly escapes his uh, uh, attempt to take his life. And then his final rendezvous is with a woman named Delilah, which we've all heard her name, led by lust in this relationship with her as well. He was controlled by personal desire, led by lust. Number two, Samson violated his vows. And we're not gonna read the text for sake of time, but Judges 15, verse five, a lion roars at him, comes out at him in the valley of Timnah in a vineyard. And the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon him, overpowered him, and he rips that lion to shreds. Some time passes and Samson is coming back through that way. And he looks over and sees the lion and he noticed there's bees around and honey in the lion. And he goes to the lion carcass and he reaches in and he pulls out some honey and he eats it. What is wrong with that picture? Number six, verse seven, he is not supposed to touch a dead body. He is not only touching that dead body, but he's consuming something that has touched the dead body. These are, these are wrong. He's breaking his vow, breaking his commitment. Notice that God does not strike him with a lightning bolt. God does not take all of his power. I think it's worth noting that we don't see a response from the Lord. And so don't assume that when you play with sin or when you dabble a little bit with a, an affair or relationship that's not, don't assume that God turns a blind eye to that. Sin is sin before the Lord and all sin has consequences. Just because Jesus came and died does not mean that, yes, he paid for my, the price for my sin, but if I go out and I, I step into stupid and I pull a gun and take a life, that's murder consequences. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some time for that. I'm going to jail for a long time. Samson violated his vows. He goes on to marry this girl and we see him abusing alcohol at the wedding. Number three, he abused alcohol. He needed to come to transform on Sunday nights in the great hall at 630. I thought I'd plug that. Samson's new wife, verse 10 of Judges 14 tells us, as in the custom of that day, they were at a mishta, which is a drinking feast. I mean, it's basically a glorified stag party, if you will. I mean, they're throwing them back hard for seven days. And Samson is inebriated. He decides to gamble a little bit. And Samson propounds this riddle. 
and he tells the guest, if you solve this riddle, I will give you 30 changes of clothes. That was a great value in that day. If you solve my riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. But if you don't solve my riddle, you need to give me 30 changes of clothes. The, the companions of the party agreed. But what Samson didn't realize is they were clever. It's hard to beat 30 minds. They were clever. They went to his wife and they tricked her and she told them what the riddle meant. And they, they went to Samson, they told him, and he, he, was, he was furious. He was all upset and uh, that they had solved his riddle. And so Samson was clever, but not that clever. And his pride was ruffled. He was embarrassed. And here we see him leave his wife, controlled by anger. That's the fourth compromise. Samson was controlled by anger. There's nothing wrong with anger, but there is something wrong with unhealthy anger. And Samson leaves the drinking party in a fit of rage and he goes to, to Ashkelon and kills 30 men. That is, what is killing 30 men? Murder. He murders 30 men. That's crazy. Now I have a map of Samson's shenanigans. I started to name it Samson's Missionary Journey, but I didn't. Notice the red line on the screen. This is where Samson moves and heads to Ashkelon to kill these men. 24 miles he travels one way. About 50 miles he travels, kills these men in anger. Samson's led to murder, led to bad decision, compromise, compromise. Number five, Samson failed to love his wife. As I mentioned, he left his wife after she told the secret to his riddle. Some time passes, we're not sure how long, but long enough for him to think I better take a gift. Some of you guys know how long that is. <laughs> um, better take a gift. And so Samson takes a goat. Now, if you have had a feud with your wife, um, sir, uh, probably, taking a goat's probably not a good gift to take. You need to take a gift appropriate, um, unless you're Phil Barton. I think Phil, Stephanie would probably be like, oh yeah, I got me another goat. Um, but other, other than that, don't do that. Samson um, brings her a goat and he's thinking, I'm, I'm gonna make amends with my wife. But he finds out when he arrives that his wife has been given to somebody else. And in a fit of rage and anger, love of himself again, he catches 30, uh, 300 foxes, ties firebrands to their tails and releases them into the grain, the standing grain, the vineyards and the olive groves of the Philistines. I have a map on the screen to show you where this happened. The little um, tan circle there. It was a big, a big deal. This was a huge economic hit um, for the Philistines to lose all of this, this, um, this product, this food. And in retaliation for that, the Philistines go and burn his father-in-law and his wife to death. The cycle just continues. Samson says, I'll one-up that. And in anger and in response to that, the Bible says he ruthlessly kills the Philistines with a great slaughter. Samson is tired. He finds himself in a cave. And this is where this battle um, takes place. But he's in a cave, the battle that, with the jawbone that we talked about earlier. Samson's in a cave and he's resting from ruthlessly slaughtering these Philistines. And the, 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 the Philistines, about uh, three, 
two, oh no, 1,000 of them actually, approach the Israelites and say, we are going to wipe you out. And um, 3,000 Israelites go to Samson, they find him in this cave and they strike a deal with him. Come go with us, bind, we'll bind you. And he, he'll, he allows himself to be bound and taken to the Philistines and he breaks those binds. The spirit of the Lord comes heavily upon him, picks up a jawbone and wears them out. And that is in the valley of Ramath-Lehi, the hill of the jawbone. But we see he failed to love his wife. Number six, he perched on a pedestal of pride. Tricking these thousand men, I'm gonna give up, I'm bound, breaks it. What does he do? Look at the screen. This is Samson's response to um, what he has just done. See if you can detect the pride in this statement. He propounds a poem, Pastor Jeff. Samson's barbaric and, and bizarre. He propounds a poem. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've made heaps on heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. What do you see in that? He has given no glory or no victory to the Lord. Who does the victory belong to? The victory belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord, so the victory belongs to the Lord. Samson's not giving it up. He's perching on a pedestal of pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride precedes destruction or pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Samson finds himself in bed with a prostitute. Chapter 16 of Judges. Um, there's a plot for his life. The Philistines gather at the gate. Samson finds out about the gate. Maybe the Lord told him, we don't know. But he gets up in the middle of the night and he rushes to the gate and he rips the gates off of the city. This is just crazy and bizarre. Tears the gates off the city. And he takes the gates to Hebron. Now I have on the map, Samson's shenanigans. Um, you can see the, the trek there in orange from Gaza all the way across the bottom of the map to Hebron. He carries those gates. Those gates weigh thousands of pounds, okay? And, and, and that's around 37 miles. This dude has misaligned passion. It's a little overkill, isn't it? Bless you. He perches on a pedestal of pride. Lastly, we see a major compromise in that Samson loves the wrong woman. You say, well, how do we know he loved Delilah? Because the scripture tells us that. The same way we know that Delilah did not cut his hair. So you better tune in because most people think that she did, but she didn't. Samson loves the wrong woman. Judges 16, verse four. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So we're about to see why not too many people name their daughter Delilah or Nero or Hitler or Jezebel or Judas, just not a common name. Her name means feeble consumer. Look at verse five, it's on the screen. And the lords of the Philistines came to her, Delilah, and said, seduce him. And see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him and humble him and we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And there were five lords of Philistines, so that's 5,500 
pieces of silver. That's 183 times the amount given to betray Jesus. So Delilah said to Samson, verse six, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one may subdue you. Guys, if you're dating a girl and she tells you that, run quickly. (laughs) Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I'll become weak like any other man. Samson lies to Delilah. Delilah ties him with seven new bowstrings. She says, the Philistines are upon you, they're coming. He jumps up, snaps the bowstrings and takes a ready stance to fight. Then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and you have told me lies. Can you hear it? Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak like any other man. Samson lies to her the second time. What does Delilah do? She binds him with new ropes, tells him the Philistines are coming. He jumps up, snaps the new ropes, takes a ready stance to fight. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now, you have mocked me and you have told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with a web and fasten it tight with the pen, then I will become weak like any other man. Samson lies to Delilah the third time. Delilah weaves his hair with a web and pen. You would think he's figured it out by now. The Philistines are coming, Samson. She wakes him up. He jumps up, pulls the pen out, takes a ready stance to fight. She said to him, how can you say I love you? This boy's telling her he loves her. Verse 15, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him his soul was vexed to death. She tricked him four times before destroying him and turning him over. Verse 17, and he told her all his heart and he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. Uh, Some could argue against that, but if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Notice that Samson's lies progressively actually took him closer and closer to the truth. She's pressed him. How dangerous is compromise here to play with sin? Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she knew it. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines saying, come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up Um, to her and brought the money in their hands. She rocks him to sleep, verse 19. She made him sleep on her knees in her lap and she called a man, she called the barber and had him shave off the seven locks of his head and she began to torment him and his strength left him. So she calls for someone to shave his head, sang him to sleep prior to that, but wakes him up in torment. Look at verse 20, saddest verse in the Bible. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as I have other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson had no clue that God had said enough. 
He went to sleep looking like Fabio and woke up like Kojak. Saddest verse ever. God had left him and the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza, the same place where he stole the gates, by the way, and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Someone said verse uh, 21 is the blinding and binding and grinding results of sin. Compromise blinded Samson. Compromise bound Samson. And compromise now is burdened him. He is now serving his enemy. He is now working for the enemy. This is what sin will do, left unchecked. Compromise is a slow ride. 40 years is a long time. Someone said that if a cruise ship leaves Miami, Florida, and is one degree off, and it's headed to Europe, leaves Miami, Florida, headed to Europe, and it's one degree coordinates, is one degree south off coordinates. And in, in one hour, it will be 100 yards off course. In one day, it will be six miles off course. And in the 16 days it takes to reach Europe, you will hit Africa. One degree is a big deal. It's a big deal. Sin is a big deal to God. So Samson, his hair begins to grow back, but his strength is not in his hair. But notice, and it's not on the screen, I apologize, but chapter 16, verse 25, I'm gonna read. Samson prays for the first time that we see in this story. He says, O Lord God, please remember me and strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the the Philistines for my two eyes. Notice what he's not praying for. He's not praying for God's glory. He's not praying for victory in the name of the Lord. He's praying for revenge for his own eyes. This is what sin will do. This is what compromise will do. It leads to so much blindness. Now, the Lord still uses him. Samson's brought into a party and in his last days of his life there, he stretched in between two pillars at a big party with the lords of the Philistines from Gaza, from Gath, from Ashkelon, from Ekron and Ashdod. And they're all there and he's bound between these two pillars and he pushes this whole place down. And the Bible tells us that about around 3,000 people are killed And that was more than he had killed in his entire life. But his strength was not in his hair. His strength was not in a jawbone. Where was his strength? Where did he get his strength? Before we dive into that just for a few moments, um, there are six great accomplishments of Samson. They'll be on the screen. He dishonored his parents. Teenagers don't, don't ignore your parents. They are watchdogs. They are designated overseers of your life, endorsed by God to be a voice in your life. If it sounds crazy, you better honor them. Um, it's the first commandment with promise. A lot I could say there, but he dishonored his parents. He diluted his promises. He defiled his purity. He diluted God's word disgraced his profession and diminished his potential. And you say, what a terrible man. And that's where I follow and say, I am Samson. I'm Samson. I look at that list and I'm like, I've done every one of those, y'all. But oh, let me tell you, 
for the grace of God because it doesn't matter where you are right now. In a moment after repentance, you can be standing in a place of blessing before the Lord. The Bible says in, in Romans 5.20 that where sin is, where sin is gargantuan, grace is much more. Where sin abounds, grace is so much greater and bigger than that sin. God will meet you at the point of your need. And he longs for us to do that, but we have to turn our gaze from ourself in faithfulness. And that's the last slide. Faithfulness is the antithesis of compromise. Get this and we will close. It's the mark of a Christian, a successful Christian. There's all kinds of success wraps, wrapped around uh, many things. But if you wanna be a faithful Christian, if you wanna be a successful Christian rather, you need to know something about faithfulness. Faithfulness is not tied to um, experience of a Christian or, or faith rather. Faithfulness is not a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's rather the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16 tells us that. Faithfulness is produced by the Holy Spirit in a yielded Christian heart. God is the vine. We are grafted in. We are plugged in. And he is the supply off the branch of our life to drop faithfulness. It's in him. It's by him. It's through him. Maybe that's freeing for you this morning as it is for me. My faithfulness is not tied to my own fruit. It's tied to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work of God through me. I can't take credit for anything. A lot, of, lot more I'd like to say about that, but Proverbs 4, 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. And this is where getting right begins. It's, it's a heart issue. Our hearts have to be in the right place just as alcoholics don't buy their apple juice at the sports bar. We are to govern where we go and what we do. It's super important that we are to affiliate ourselves with the right relationships, that we are to not forsake dwelling together as some have, um, that we are to be a disciple maker and be discipled that we are to serve and not become complacent and stagnant in our Christian life. I wanna ask the band to get in place and I have a few questions I wanna pray and, and, and ask you and I want you to pray and reflect on these questions this morning. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, in everything you do, do all to the glory of the Lord. Do all to the, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of the Lord. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've compromised. You're in a relationship with someone who you're, you're, you're bitter in that relationship or you, you, you refuse to forgive. Or maybe that relationship is not a believer and you're a believer and you're unequally yoked. You've, you've, you've gone places and done things you shouldn't do. Guess what? God desires to meet you right in that situation, but he wants you to turn to him. Maybe you are like me, a former, I'm a former alcoholic. Addiction held me in its grips and I became free not when I 
overcame by my own strength because I don't have the, the in me. Is, I'm not strong enough. I'm Samson. I'm a weakling. I need Jesus. I need God. And Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to that relationship. Jesus is the answer to divert your eyes from that flirting affair that's going on at work. Jesus is the answer in your parenting. Turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never, ever turned to Jesus. Let me tell you that he died on a cross for every sin you've committed, every sin you will commit. It's a beautiful rescue plan. It's flawless. Jesus is the perfect Samson. Jesus is the one, the way, the truth, and the life. Would you turn your life to Jesus? Some of you this morning have done that. Some of you this morning haven't. We all need to respond to the words of Jesus this morning. Will you refuse compromise? Will you make that effort? Will you make that adjustment in your life to prioritize your vertical and make Christ the center of your life? He does not relent and he will not play games with you long. Amos 8 and verse 11 says, I'm sending a drought and the drought is not gonna be water or food. The drought is gonna be an absence of my word. And there comes a time when you will not hear God anymore. There comes a time when those words will pass right over your ears. And that is a scary thing because conviction doesn't come because I don't hear God speak to me anymore. And all of a sudden I'm in such a deep rut and I'm going a place deeper and deeper and further into the arms of Delilah. And I won't be married next year. I won't see the blessings that, I won't meet that person that I'm supposed to meet or that you're supposed to meet or connect with because I'm in the wrong place and because I'm toying with the wrong things. Would you respond to the Lord this morning? Stand with me, heads bowed, eyes closed. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you, this altar is open. There will be pastors and staff that can pray with you at the front. Would you respond to Jesus this morning? Don't leave this room. There's nothing crazy sacred about this floor, this altar, this space. Let me tell you what is. Your decision to move and to not stay where you are. So you respond. Maybe you're a grandmother. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle in this room and you're praying for somebody, we wanna pray with you. Would you respond to the Lord? Let's don't, let's don't leave here the same. Let's make a commitment to God this morning. Father, we ask for your blessing on this time. Lord, I know if I was the devil and I'm not, I would really wanna steer some hearts away from the conviction your Holy Spirit is putting on us right now. And I would wanna say, oh, you can do it on your own and, and whisper those lies of deceit you, you cannot take that next pill. You, you'll be able to do it tomorrow. And it's a lie because we cannot course correct without heart correction. And we need to turn our hearts to you, God. We need to ascribe all glory to you this morning. And so be glorified in our decisions this morning. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the grace that meets us at the point of our need. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in your precious name we pray, amen.